Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. So we've been on the series, Dear 21st Century Believer, and this is the seventh track of the series. I really want to implore you to reach out to folks because, as I told you before, this series actually came out of a prophetic direction. All right, I was praying and then the Lord just laid a couple of things, just showed me a couple of things actually. And then I decided in my heart, I said, you know, I'm going to teach on this and this and this and this. All right, so um, this is a series that will bless you. Of course, it's been blessing you already, but then that will also bless a whole lot of persons. So I really want to implore you to reach out to folks. All right, reach out to folks. The, the, don't, it's not, this is not just one of the series that you just post on WhatsApp or WhatsApp says and that's all. It's not those series where you actually reach out to people in their DMs and say, this is actually going to help you listen to this series all right listen to this series. This is actually going to help you all right so that's that so let's just move into our teaching for today so uh, um uh so we are on i know last week when we um last week i did i tried to round up on the leading of the spirit and then i moved into yielding to joy all right just spoke about that a little so let's just pick up from where um i stopped last week open your bible to seven corinthians seven corinthians chapter two from verse one to eleven Second Corinthians 2 from verse 1 to 11. Second Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 11. Second Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 11. Master Venema Korea TV Nika Pastors. Second Corinthians 2 from verse 1 to 11. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Second Corinthians 2 from verse 1 to 11. So he says, But I determined this with myself that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. He says, and I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. There's someone there, you're about to get distracted. Actually, you're about to get distracted. Pay attention. Don't get distracted. Hallelujah. Uh, and I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. Having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of hearts, I will be with many tears, not that you can endure, but that you may endure the love which I have more abundantly unto you. He said, But if any have caused grief, he has not endured me, but in heart, that I may not overcharge you all. It is sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise he ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. He says, Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him, for to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive for your sakes, forgive I it in the person of Christ. It is lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I'm going to read verse 11 again. Pay attention, please. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, just to give you a little background to this story, all right, the, 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 the foundation for this particular portion here is 1 Corinthians 5. So there's this brother who was found in the scene of, who was found in um, fornication, all right, with his father's wife, hopefully his stepmom. Doesn't make it any better, but at least that's, that's better than his mother, all right? But he was found in fornication with his mother's wife. And what was, what was his father's wife, sorry, and what was worse was that he was unrepentant, all right? He was unrepentant. So he was he was unrepentant about it, and so it was the reason um, he was giving it a punishment was because he was unrepentant. And so Paul says, you know what? Um, he says, deliver such a one to Satan, all right, for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And I've done the explanation on this before, but what he meant when he says deliver such a one to the devil is just cast him out from among you, or better still, excommunicate him. And the reason for that is two things: is number one. To avoid him from influencing you, because one of the ways to restore a brother in the body of Christ is that you restore him while watching yourself to ensure that his behavior does not run upon you. So Paul was speaking in Galatians six, and then he says in Galatians six verse one, he says, "He which are spiritual, he says, um, he says, if any brother be overtaken in the fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness." All right, he says, also watching yourself, lest you are also overtaken in that fault. So in other words, when Paul tells them to cast such a one from among them. The reason he told them to do so was two things. Number one, so that the brother would not rub off on them. That's number one. Number two, so that as a reason of him being separated, he would feel sorrow. He would be sorry for what he had done. And then he would not be able to be brought back into the fold. Listen to me. 
any correction in the body of Christ that is not geared towards the salvation, <laughs> to ensure that that person, <laughs> all such correction is done in the flesh. Listen to me. You can, and, and that's where I'm, where I'm going to actually see. You can have a correction that actually comes from a genuine motive, and <laughs> but then it comes from the flesh. And so I gave an example for um, a couple of, I think last week, where I said, and so say for example the um, choir mistress gets pregnant, and that's a very dangerous thing, actually, very bad, right? Really, really bad. Because I mean, you can imagine how, as a pastor, you've always tried your best possible to ensure that there's no scandal in your church, and so on and so forth. And now the choir mistress is pregnant. Now, pregnant not for the pastor, but she's just pregnant. And so now, if you do not pay attention to it, a mistake you could quickly make is that you lash out on that person because of the error they made. So much so that now, you know, what we do sometimes in church is, you know, having, of course, stripped the, person of, stripped the person of authority and so on and so forth, you now begin to put out very hard and disgraceful measures. So maybe, for example, you tell her, you know, um, what, what, you know, you can tell her, for example, you know, or maybe you even say, don't come to church again. Don't come to church. Yeah, and embarrass me. That's not the way out for such a person. In fact, for such a person, the best thing for her might be, of course, take away, take her away from a leadership position. That's not that's not a very good example to set as a leader. But then what, what might be best for her at that point in time is show up in church as often as possible. Have more Bible classes with her. Teach her the more. Let her serve the more. Because you, you see, guys, you cannot be running God's work or God's church like you're running a primary or secondary school. Do you understand my point? If you truly believe that God's word is potent enough to change lives, the kind of corrections you will give, all right, or the kind of <laughs> that you actually believe that God's word is so. If you believe that God's word is a solution, you will know that the primary way to correct people will not be by some harsh treatments. Of course, the, the 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 treatments can be necessary in certain cases, but the motive of it will still be such that they come to the point where they learn God's word the more. So that God's word can actually influence that character or that behavior of them that they have. Are we together? And so, for example, when you hear um, this so-and-so person did something, and then the church just listen, the only reason why a church should ever tell people, tell someone, go away from among us, is if the person is <laughs> But as long as the person repents of what they do, are we together? It repents of what they do. The church has the responsibility to ensure that such a person is changed. And this thing is hard to say. You know, I'm come, I'm I'm saying this thing as someone who also has a ministry. And so I have an idea of what it's like, actually. But the reality of it is this is God's word. See, some things must matter to us and some other things. A lot of times when we respond in a certain way, it's often because we are also particular about what will people see. About me, what do people say about my ministry? Ah, you know, so and so person got pregnant. What, what's people, what, what people say? You know, so and so and so thing happened. They caught the head usher in, um, you know, he was committing a robbery. Ah, what people say? Do you understand? Particularly, <laughs> so that make things worse. You know, particularly in circles where you teach on, um, um, on the realities of righteousness, on new creation realities, and so on and so forth. People can be quite unforgiving for circles like that. And so, you know, when you see something like that, you might almost be moved as a pastor or as the leader, to, you know, to put out very stringent and, you know, very hard measures, all right? But that's not the way out. You must respond in a way that shows that you truly believe that the response to a change or the way a man's life can be changed is via God's word. Are we together? Of course, you can put rules in place and stuff and stuff in place, but you must respond in a way that actually, Actually shows that of the truth you believe that the solution to people's lives is actually God's word, not necessarily commandments. Are we together, guys? And so, and so Paul gives us instruction: do this and do this and do this because of, for this brother, because he's unrepentant, separate him from among you, so that you know he has sorrow in his heart, and then you know um, he, he feels sorry for what he has done, and then he can accept him. And did it work? Yes, it did. It actually worked. And so, separate him. So Paul is saying, see. You guys have done enough. All right. So it's that kind of thing where you know you told them to do something and they did it to the letter. And so Paul now says, you know what? You've grieved this guy enough. Take him into you once again. All right. Take him into so he says, whoever it is that you forgive something, I have also forgiven the person. That's what literally what Paul is saying here. So Paul is saying, okay, you've excommunicated this guy away from you, and that's fine, no problem. But you know what? Take him back. Take him back. That's it. And now look at the way Paul ends that particular portion of scripture. And it's very, very important for believers to learn this thing. He says, lest Satan should get an advantage of 
us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. If if you are reading this thing based on what Paul is saying, it makes no sense because, sir, you are the one that gave us this instruction. The one that told us to do this and this. And in fact, it is not not just is it um um do we take it because you are a leader? It is so. It is it is an instruction that is actually scripturally correct. It's accurate from scripture. Are we together, guys? And so you begin to wonder how can Paul give an instruction and yet tell us that in our obeying that instruction, we have to pay we have to pay attention lest the devil takes advantage of us because we are not ignorant of his devices. What does it mean? What this means is that there is a propensity for something that started in the spirit to be hijacked by the devil and to continue in the flesh. So a very good example is something like this. is the fact that of the truth, the punishment was necessary and was good. Are we together? But listen, you can stay so long in dishing out that punishment that you quickly forget the fact that, listen, the reason we are doing this punishment in the first place is so that this product goes into sorrow and is sorry and then he's brought back into the church. Because another thing that can also happen is that the brother becomes, you know, he's down in sorrow, he's sorry. But because we are still not willing to take him back, he feels neglected and rejected. And because nature abhors vacuum, the vacuum that the church has left is now filled in by the world. So since he's no longer accepted in the church, he now goes to the nightclub. Are we together? And now you have lost a soul. Don't forget why Paul gave the correction in the first place. He says, you know, um, so that his soul, he says for the destruction of the flesh, so that his soul will be saved in the day of the Lord. Are we together, guys? So you must recognize the boundaries of certain things when you understand that even good things can be hijacked by the devil and lead to good things. It can. It can. And so he tells you, he says, you must not be ignorant of the devices of the devil. And I, I use this, I explained this also to you guys, you know, I think it was the last week I spoke about, this even works in relationships. Listen, there are certain times when you are going to look over certain faults in relationships, not because you are not the one who is right, but because you understand that there is more at stake, really at stake, and that even though of the truth you have every legitimate reason to be annoyed, you must recognize the fact that this is the devil working in this situation. So, something where of the truth, you are the one who is right. The person was the one who was wrong. And you have every reason to be annoyed. Yes, you do. But listen, if you stay in that annoyance so long and you don't resolve that relationship or you don't resolve that friendship, the devil can take the hold of that content and then lose that supernatural relationship forever. You lose it forever. And so, as a believer or as a minister of the gospel, particularly in a time and age like ours, you have to be discerning. So, discernment must be sharp. You must see some things for what they are. You must. So now, for example, you are seeing pastors being caught in scandal. I remember there was a particular time of the year, I think it was last year or last two years, where that was like the thing. Pastors being caught in scandal. And <laughs> I and and you're not you're not discerning. You're not. Now listen, I am all for people being accountable. And in fact, I believe I do I believe personally that if it is a crime, not only should the pastor answer to you know church members, he should actually answer to the court of law. If it's a crime, I totally agree to that. Do you understand my point? And I believe that the full rot of the full rot of the law, you know, should be followed through. But here's the thing: if you see a pattern and you're not quick to discern and see how I mean, these people, these people now, so now you see, in, in while of course the um, conversation is going on on Twitter, you begin to hear people say things like, "All these young pastors self now so then take B," and then you know, you to your anger or annoyance. You just tweet it or you like it, say yes. Now, so all of them. Now, you don't realize that what the devil is doing is that he's planting a seed in people's hearts where it becomes a barrier to them. So now, every time when they come around a pastor who is young, even one who has a very clean track record, nothing has happened. There is a mindset they already have that hinders them from receiving. Already. They already have a mindset that hinders them from receiving. So listen, of the truth, correction is right. Of the truth, what the pastor did is wrong. And of the truth, you actually should correct. But listen to me. We are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. Listen, sometimes there is a whole lot more at stake than you can see. And so you have to be sending. And so that's the reason I cannot stress this enough. You have to be full of the Holy Ghost. Don't just approach every situation like every other person. Don't. Ah, don't. Don't. Some of you talk too much. You do. It, it, sometimes all it takes you to do is just to take just take some time 
time always see let me tell you something that i've learned and i learned this even almost the hard way time will always reveal true intentions number one time will always reveal whether what you consider the big deal was actually a big deal and so if you make a decision based on how you feel right now more often than not you will regret it you will you will so you have to be discerning and so what does this have to do you know with the subject matter of joy oh it has a lot to do it has a lot it has a lot so now think about it it almost seems as though everything that is happening happens in a way to ensure that you know you know that you are sad or that you are full of you know you know so there is the war in ukraine for example so let's say for example you wake up in the morning you just had a nice time praying all right you're excited pumped up for the day and then you go you go out you you just said you, you know you want to check instagram or you want to check twitter and then the first thing you see oh the war in ukraine is still on and together, the war in Ukraine is still on. And so, so, so number of lives were killed in the past one week. You're like, what is this? And then just as you're looking at that and you're almost done with that, then you hear about, you know, the, the earthquake in, in Turkey. And then so, so, so number of people dead. What's, what's going on? And as, as though that is not enough. In your own country, there's an election that was rigged. And then people begin to see all manner of things. And now, you who pay attention, nothing has happened to you. Nothing has happened to you. Yeah, nothing at all. Do you understand? You, in fact, you are, you can afford to eat. You had a good night's rest, a good night's sleep. In fact, you woke up excited. Now you see all of those things. You see me, and then maybe at that particular point in time, as you are scrolling on Twitter, layoff, tech layoff. Do you understand me? And then you can see people who are complaining about how they lost their jobs and so on and so forth. And you who, by the way, actually has a good job, then now there's insecurity in your heart. You begin to wonder, hey, what if I lose my job? And then, you know, particularly for me to say, when you're a lady, you you can create an entire job. In just 20 minutes, you've created the next six years of your life. How it's going to look, you're losing the job, how it's going to be, you need to look for other jobs, and how you don't need to afford your apartment and your house something. And then you begin to create all manner of scenarios. And now your mind is affected, you are you are you are drenched. You are you you've lost all your energy, your enthusiasm for the day is gone, your motivation for the day is gone. And now, by the way, you are now more likely to lose that job because you're no more you're no longer delivering at the job. No longer. And so see, now you can look at that and not say, ah, oh, well, it's just the way you know the world works and stuff. Things are not just good. That's the lie. Because let me tell you something. As bad news are bad things are happening, good things are happening too. Do you understand? But just from even a natural perspective, bad news doesn't sell like good news. It doesn't. Bad news doesn't sell like good news. Do you understand me? We are, we are more likely to hear of one divorce, even if there are 20 other marriages that have. I mean, oh, so and so person got married. That's not a big deal for an headline. Do you understand my point? Like, okay. But, you know, a, a, a marriage of 10 years or 20 years results in a divorce. Now, that's something that people want to care about. It's just something about us that want to grapple at bad news. And while you can say, oh, it's just the strategy of the media, for them to sell better. You can also realize that, listen, don't forget that this world is under the hold of sin. And more importantly, men consciously or unconsciously can be used of the devil. Now, when you recognize that, you understand how seeming natural things, just as seeming natural things could be used of God for situations to lead to his plan, seeming natural things could also be used of the devil. So something that just looks natural can actually be hijacked by the devil and he's utilizing it to ensure that certain things happen. Do you understand me? So now you have, for example, people who have back to back. They are being fed with bad news back to back to back. And so you wonder why, for example, in a generation like ours, with such technological advancements, with such increase in quality of life compared to folks who are older than us, why exactly are we dealing with more mental health issues mm -hmm. than before? Now, you might be quick to give answers and say, oh, well, there's an increased level of self-awareness and there is this and there is that and there is this and there is that. But listen to me, listen to me. At the end of the day, if you pay attention and listen, you can't but say how that, listen, the devil is working, he's being hyperactive. That's what is happening right now. The devil is working higher than ever before. People are falling into depression. People are, you know, having suicidal thoughts here and there and this and that and this and that. Listen to me. I can promise you. The matter of mental health has always been there long before we we're born. And while, of course, of course, there are folks who are just 
you know, being overly about it and they're just talking about it again and again unnecessarily. But listen to me, the reality of it is that there are actually people who are having these issues and it is increasing the more by the day. Are we together, guys? And so we 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 have to have a a perspective into situations where we say people might think this thing is ordinary and natural, but listen, we can actually see the devil in his tracks. And I've told you guys before, there is a very clear difference between suspicion and discernment. Suspicion leads to fear. Ha, hey, hey, this thing no, she no go be like this. Mm -mm. Discernment is that you can see the devil clearly in his tracks, and so you can block him. That's discernment. Discernment is that you can see where the devil is walking, and so you stop it. Are we together, guys? And so, just like you have with this guy here, where it just looks like in Second Corinthians two, it just looks like something normal. Paul told the church, "Correct this brother." What is the correction? Separate him from among you. The brother becomes annoyed. Are you are not taking me in, and instead, and because he's annoyed, he leaves the church, and then he now does what? He starts hanging out with friends in the club. That just seems like a normal thing. But guess what Paul says about it? He says, "Lest the devil takes advantage." In other words, when we see that semi-natural thing, what we actually have seen there was the devil taking advantage of the correction. Are we together, guys? Did the correction come from the church? Yes. Did the correction have a spiritual origin? Yes. Did it have a scriptural origin? Yes. Did it have a spirit-led origin? Yes. But was it hijacked by the flesh? Yes, it was, on the long run. Was it hijacked by the devil? Yes. And what did it lead to? The destruction of his soul. Are we together, guys? So we must have an estimation where we say we can sit there and even the people here perspective of this thing. We can sit and say, This is the devil. This is the devil. I'm telling you, this is the devil. And see, listen to me, <laughs> much more than ever before, we are going to need to learn to stand for God's word. Stand for God's word. Listen to me. What I want to say, listen, there will be a point in time. I'm telling you, there will be a point in time where this thing will become a lot worse than it than it currently is, and the only sense of sanity we will have will be in God's house. That's reality. That's reality. And so, what's now even worse is that you now have believers or churches who are adopting the same methods that the world is adopting. Listen to me. Let me start from saying this. There's nothing bad in saying a therapist, but I'm a pastor, not a therapist. I mean, man of God, not a therapist. Listen to me. There's going to be certain times when you talk to me about certain things and I just know, okay, you know, you just need to calm down, relax and so on and so forth and stuff like that. But at certain times when you're going to tell me certain things too, you tell me about your mood and stuff and I can see that this is actually a demonic attack. This is not normal. This is actually the, the operation of a demon. Do you understand me? Now, discernment may be different, but I'm telling you that most times, the symptoms might look alike. Are we together, guys? The symptoms might look alike. Yeah. Yeah. Says, you know, I usually feel like you know, I just feel like there's nothing to live for again in this world, and so on and so forth, and stuff like that. And then, as the person is talking, you can tell this is actually a demonic operation here. And so, now this is not me saying that as a pastor, you know, you shouldn't advise people to go for therapy and stuff like that. But this is what I'm saying I'm saying, first and foremost, you have to recognize that God's word gives a prescription for you. And you told people to follow the prescription of the word. That's right. Number two, can you see? An oppression of the devil and stand against it. Those are two things that I am responsible for. A therapist can do the therapy to suppress you, but you don't pray to me trying to help I'm not a therapist. I'm a designer, not a therapist. I'm a together guy. So if you want someone who's going to listen to you and say, hey, ah, yeah, so that's how it is. Ah, in your show, that's that's not me. Do you understand me? I can feel what you are feeling. I can try to empathize with you because I'm human just like you. But listen to me. At some point, I'm going to have to respond with God's power. And sometimes God's power is not going to appeal to your emotions. But that's just the reality. Guess what? You don't need emotions. You don't need... At that point in time, what you really need is not um, an emotional connection necessarily. What you actually need is a solution to that problem. And sometimes the solution is not going to empathize with you. Just as sometimes you have, you have, you know, you have a particular um, 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 pain in your body and you need to get a drug for it. it sometimes the drug you will take will actually be the most bitter thing you've ever tasted. But guess what? The pharmacist doesn't look at your emotions to give you that drug. And it doesn't ask you whether or not you like the taste of a particular drug. Because at that point in time, that is what you need. So don't don't feel bad when sometimes you know you come to meet pastor and then you say sir you know I don't know what's wrong with my finances and this and that and this and that and sometimes he just looks at you and then he says shut up stop saying the things you are saying and change the words of your mouth and then he tells you just go after that 
now you can feel better and say, now I'm for this kind of pastor self. And any small thing, I'm going to fit, fit, fit. Can never be understanding. Get your empathetic. Get your emotional. Get your... You don't get it. He cares more for you than those your friends who keep telling you, Pele, Pele, my dear. Ah, this is how he's doing you. Because think about this. All the years they've been doing that with you, what has changed? What has? So sometimes you need to go and say, Sometimes this is the person that actually likes me the most. Who loves me the most? The one who is ready to say, why are you talking this way? Shut up and change the words on your mouth. That's the reality. Sometimes that's not the solution that you actually need. All right? But then, that being said, now, so I've said already, I've explained to you how the devil can hijack situations, things that seem ordinary, unnatural. Do you understand me? So you're going, you're scrolling through Twitter, and then you're just seeing bad news and bad news and bad news and bad news. And so through you, it's just coincidence that bad things are happening at the same time. But what you don't realize is that the devil is intentionally curating certain things in your direction to affect your heart. To affect your heart. So now, you're expecting a job. You're applying for a particular job. But you cannot even be optimistic anymore because you are so used to bad news. And so even when you pray, you no longer have confidence to pray as well as you should because you are so used to hearing news of people who almost got a particular job but lost it because they're in Nigeria. So now you're not even confident to stand in God's power as regards certain things that could have been your own because the devil has already sown seeds of doubt and unbelief. That's what we are talking about. And so what do you have to do as a believer? You respond. You respond with God's power. And that's why I said something last week. I said this very importantly. I said, listen to me. Listen, in a generation like this, where depression and suicidal thoughts and all manner of negative mind influences, you know, have become mainstream, joy becomes a fight. I'm going to say that again. Joy becomes a fight. You, you, you have to face the subject matter of joy you have to face the discussion of joy as one who is literally fighting and battling for their life. That's what you have to do. So your discernment has to be sharp. Has to be. It has to be sharp. Let me show you something. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Let me show you something very interesting. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. You know, some of us even label it. We call ourselves overthinkers. You know, and, and we even think it's the worst thing. You know, I, I, I'm an overthinker, so any guy who is going to you know who's going to be with me he needs to understand yeah you're not you you are you you are someone who who does not have a hold on their mind and it's a terrible place to be in it's because let me let me say something very important you see if you are going to be able to flow in god's power all right you must be able to intentionally curate the kind of things you want your mind mm. to dwell on first of all you see one of the easiest ways you can begin to flow better in any of the spirit is this, is that you can curate in yourself or you can create a mindset of yourself that works in God's power. So, the first thing first is that you want really to your mind to think a certain way. That, see, that thing I said eh, is literally almost 40 to 50% when it comes to spiritual things. Because here's the thing, as I've always told you before, spiritual growth is a matter of the mind. Spiritual growth is your ability to dwell upon or to relate upon spiritual information and to consume it consistently. That's what, so spiritual growth is not just the fact that you're sitting down here and listening to what I'm saying. Spiritual growth is your ability to think upon this even when I've left. So that's the reason why, for example, Paul talks about a doer of the word. And he says the doer of the word is one who continues daring. He continues looking into the perfect law of liberty, meaning not just when that person is in discipleship class. When the person leaves discipleship class and is sitting down on the sofa in his or her room, wherever, the person can ruminate upon what he said beforehand and think upon it. And as the reason of that rumination, it now causes them to begin to walk in the world, hence they are growing spiritually. Are we together, guys? So it means that at the core, for you to grow spiritually, you must be one who can take a hold of your mind and make your mind think a certain way. But you know, for a generation that is highly distracted, this is, this is already counterintuitive because we have a generation where people can hardly focus on one thing for 30 minutes. We have been wired by engineers to at least take our phone once in every 10 minutes. 10 minutes is even too far. For some of us, we can't do five minutes without looking. And, and have you ever noticed that sometimes you look at your phone, you don't have anything you want to do. You don't have to look at it. There's no thing. Like, you, you, you just open it and just drop it back. But you don't even need to look at the phone. You just have to put it on and put it back and put it down back. You know what's even worse? For some of us, we have something. And by the time you unlock the screen of your phone, you've forgotten it. That shows you how short 
a span we have when it comes to holding information. Now, look at how dangerous it is. For the fact that for you to hold on to anything significant spiritually, you must be able to let your mind ruminate on something for a period of time. So imagine how counterintuitive it is that technology has now created in us the inability to actually sit down and focus on something at a particular point in time for stretch. Now imagine how dangerous that is to... So now, it's not hard to understand why, listen, there are certain kinds of miraculous signs we cannot... It's not a cause. Genuinely, you can't see it. It's not, do you understand me? You know, I, I had a friend of mine one time, and I said, I said, guy, let's be honest with ourselves. There are certain things that we know what to do to see it, but sometimes we just can't pay the price. And I'm one of the very few persons that are usually very blunt and honest with themselves. Let me tell you something. Eh? There are certain kind of persons, you, unless, unless for the grace of God in a man's life, if you see a man who does full time, and I say full time, I mean full time, he's not just wasting his time. He does ministry full time. And you see another man who, despite how much work he does, do you understand? Does his best possible to still pray and stuff like that, but has some other work he's doing. There will be evidence. It's not, it's just one person spends more time with something than the other. It's Do you understand? It's even a natural principle. It's going to show. Are we together, guys? That's not what it is. So imagine, like, look at, look at, here who pray for hours on the end. I hope you realize that sometimes the hardest part of praying for long hours is not even necessarily the prayer. It is the ability to keep something in your mind for long. You, you don't know how hard that thing is until you pray. Your ability to, number one, keep your mind on something, but then also the self-awareness to realize when you are drifting away and bring your mind back. If not, you will pray six hours, but at the end of the day, you only prayed one and thirty minutes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know, just the ability to put your mind in one place like this, and for it not just to be deviating up and down. And what's even worse for some of us is that we, we are so used already to our mind deviating, we are not even self-aware to recognize that my mind has deviated. So now you've done one hour. And it's when the person says, in Jesus' name we pray, that your cause to you that you didn't even pray for five minutes because your mind was everywhere else but what we are praying about. Now, tell me how you actually want to handle something tangible or significant spiritually. It's not possible. It's not. It's not. And so, now, you can look at all of that and just say, ah, well, you know, it's just this generation and the way things are. No. Agreed. It is the workings of men. But guys, if you cannot see the fact that as a reason of this, we are beginning to lose hold on very significant supernatural operations in this generation then it should give you serious concerns do you understand agree though it is technology that caused it but don't forget what i said we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil we we should also begin to see so now you now have to understand that my decision to be a lord over my phone is beyond just personal development this is a battle for my spiritual life are you with me your ability to hold i when i wake up in the morning I'm not going to touch my phone till 12 p.m. Do you understand my point? I'm not going to open it up to see anything till 12 p.m. It's not just personal development. Do you understand my point? That's not just what it is. Now it is a fight, it's a fight for your spiritual growth. And not just that I now deciding I'm going to stay off my phone, but I'm going to use that time to now do things. Okay, so before 12 o'clock, I must ensure that I'm already done praying and I'm already done reading my Bible. You know, reading so and so number of um, chapters of the Bible before this time. I are we together, guys? Now you you must understand that seeming natural things can now have supernatural influence. That's the way. Hallelujah. That's the way. So now look at Matthew six from verse twenty five to thirty four. I just want to show you something very important. Matthew six twenty five to thirty four. You know, you know, and and this has to do with folks who say, you know, I'm an overthinker. I'm an overthinker, and then you wear the badge proudly, a believer. A believer, overthinker, and uh, now even made it sound so well. Look what the Bible says about it. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. It says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into bands, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? He says, Which of you by taking thought? Can have one cubit unto his stature, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the little of the world, how the world will turn they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. He says, Wherefore, if God so clothed 
the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? He says, all right, um, shall he not, not clothe you, all ye of little faith? He says, take therefore no thoughts, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For out of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall so be clothed for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, let me say something here. You know, certain things that if a pastor says, you say, you say, you know, these all these people, you know, in fact, there was something that people used to say then, you know, um, when, when they hear me talk, they say, it's because you are young, you've not seen life, you know. And <laughs> I remember, I always used to say, like, when people used to say that thing then, I used to wonder, I've not, what kind of life do I possibly want to see? Sorry. What kind of life? But, you know, well, you, a lot of times you don't want to sound like a disrespectful and everything, but, you know, by the grace of God, I'm beginning to see the life. And what I said then still stands. It has not changed. Because you need to recognize that when you say, except if you are giving a personal opinion, as long as you are saying something that is solely found on God's word, then there is no amount of life that you have seen that is higher than God's word. And that's what I always try to explain to people a lot. When people say things like, oh, you are saying this because you have not seen life. Listen, even if at any point in time I come short of what I said, I'm the one that is wrong, not what I said. Do you understand? Like, because people, people always make it look like, oh, you, your what you said is only as correct as how long you follow it. No. God's word is authority over my life. I don't decide, all right? I don't decide how God's word is. I don't decide God, what God's word is. I find out what God's perspective is. So that if at any point in time, I don't know what I said. I'm wrong. Not God's word. It doesn't, it, it doesn't now make God's word wrong. No. Let every man be true. Let, sorry, let every man be a liar and go true. But still, let God be true and every man a liar. That's only what it is. All right. So that being said, now look at what he says here. Now, this is something that if it was another man that said it, or a pastor, you say, ah, what these pastors did, they're not even caring. Do you understand? What kind of what kind of a terrible this thing is this? And stuff like that. But now this is Jesus speaking. And then Jesus says, Take you no thoughts. What? L listen to me, guys. See, even as someone who you know, subscribe to the lordship of the word and the authority of God's word. There's still certain things that when I want to say it, you know, sometimes you have to look into people's eyes and see how they respond because, you know, you don't want to come out as being offensive. But listen to me, guys. Jesus did not put any ill thoughts on maybe. He did not. Jesus himself says, take no thoughts. Now, notice that Jesus did not say, don't plan. Jesus just says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So take no thoughts what you're going to eat. You know, there's certain people like that. They're just, they're just always thinking about what could go wrong. Every single time. Just thinking, mm -hmm. I don't know how dangerous that is. Let's even forget about the fact. Let's, I, I mean, well, of course, it's one of the major reasons, the fact that God's word says not to. Think about the fact that you never really enjoy happiness in anything because you are always thinking about what could possibly go wrong. And for some of you, I don't blame you. Because it's a response mechanism to things that were going well in your life that suddenly went bad. So say, for example, you had a wonderful family, you know, and, you know, sadly, you never expected that your dad was going to lose his life at a particular point in time, and he did. Just and then things went bad. And so because of that, you developed a response mechanism where you never really expect things to be good for so long. So even when things are good, you are second-guessing because you don't expect things to be that good. Or for some of you, something more relatable is relationship. So the last relationship, you know, those kind of breakfast that was not expected, you know, you know, there's a lot of breakfast that you can already tell the signs. You know, when Jesus said that, you know, that you can <laughs> to the cloud and say, oh, it's about to rain. That's the way it was. So that's what it is for some people. But for some other people, the cloud was bright, but then it just began to rain all of a sudden. So you were not expecting that breakfast. Like, it just appeared to you all of a sudden. So now you are in a new relationship with a partner who actually loves you, who cares about you, do you understand my point? Who is giving all of the possible green flags, but you've already developed the response mechanism to never truly totally <laughs> So now, despite everything it is that you are seeing, you cannot come to the point where you actually accept that this person really loves you and something bad will not happen. So even when someone is, like, is being caring and everything, all of a sudden you just switch off. Because now you're thinking, hmm, what if all of them are the same? All of them. That's the same way this one was doing then. Before you know it now, it might even be that his second year anniversary like this, he will just give me breakfast. That's what we are saying. Are we together? And nobody's saying don't plan. Nobody's saying, you know, don't try to mitigate and stuff. But the point of it is this. 
Don't let your worries spoil the happy things in your life for you. So that at the end of the day, you will not look back at look, look back at your life and realize I was never truly happy. I was never truly happy because at every point in time, I was always second guessing the possibility of what could go wrong. Okay, fine, things could go wrong, but what if things go wrong? What if things actually go right? Listen to me. What if your life just kept going up and up? You know, there's a way. Uh, there's a way we are programmed to believe. Nobody truly lives life that way. We are programmed to believe that life just has to happen to you at some point. True, and I agree. But have we never talked about this. You know, there's just a way sometimes we make hardship part of the story. Like as though any story without hardship is not a real story. It doesn't need to be that way. It's actually possible that you get married and there was no major problem in your mind. You know, I remember I was I was seeing, I think it was an IG reel or something. And the person actually spoke about the fact that he and his wife had never really had any major fallout in their marriage they've never had any like any like not um ah, but they play to our they play to our, something like that but like any major issue where it was a, like an actual issue that they had to you know have some issue and discuss and stuff like that so they've never had anything like that and you need to see how people were commenting oh it's not possible and I, like i was wondering like it's not like it's a bad thing like isn't it even good it doesn't that mean that they were happier in their marriage do you understand? Like, why does it have to be a problem that people do not fight? Then is actually supposed to be somebody that you actually mm. have. So chances are you don't mm. have to fight with them. So why is it a problem that people did not fight? Even if here's the thing, even if they are lying, why why does it have to be a problem to us that they do not fight in their marriage? Why? But that's the thing because we are wired to believe there has to be a part of it that has problems. There has to be a part. So things can. So now, even when things are going so good for you. Yeah, you know, you're suspicious. Things are happening too good for the last six months. I don't like this. I don't like this feeling at all. You know, when people say that kind of thing, and <laughs> I'm not going to lie, you know, and at, at some point, and I'm going, I'm going to be very vulnerable here. At some point, I actually had that kind of feeling as well, where, you know, I was like, th things were going quite well, you know, at some point, uh, you know, financially, actually. And then, and then I began to, you know, ha. You know, he, you know, you know, you know, and then that's when I be hearing these funny, funny Yoruba proverbs. They say, you know, they say money is like water or something. Ah, this way funny thing. They say, um, it will come. They are saying they say something like it's like a season of your life. It will come, then it will go. See, at some point, I just I start out of it. I say, it's not me. My life is always going to be better than it was yesterday. There's no better yesterday for me. That's the reality. I'm always going to continue to have a better life again and again. And again. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to be one of those people where people say, oh, there's a thing in his life which you know very well. No. I'm always going to keep doing well. You have to learn to keep God's word on your lips. Bible says the path of the just is like a shining light. It shines brighter and brighter until perfect. It does not that matter to me. That's it. So there's no such thing as, oh, ah, you know, ah, things are going so well now. So just expect that some points in your life, things are, things are never going to go bad with me. Listen to me. As you are seeing me right now, this is the least I will ever be in my life. This is where I'm ever going to be. I'm always going to continue to keep getting better. And listen to me. If at any point in time, any obstacle comes, guess what a miracle is about? That's just the reality. Because listen to me, I'm going to bounce back bigger and better than you've ever seen. That's the reality. So there is no, I don't look to my future and think there's any there's any part of my future where I am better than, than I was time. Never. 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 And so you must have that mindset as well. So now you need to recognize that even society unknowingly is selling to us an ideology that sorrow is part of life. Do you understand? That you know, and this, I mean, there is also a, there's also an explanation for this according to scripture where you need to understand that come what's me, all right. Your faith is in Jesus, and you know, things might not be all too rosy, but the reality of it is that your faith is in Christ. But then beyond that, you must also understand it is not abnormal if everything in your life works as planned. It's not, it's not abnormal. You, your life doesn't have to be one of sorrow, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be one of pain. It doesn't have to be one of it doesn't have to be a mixture of both. It doesn't have to be. You can be on a perpetual victory parade every day of your life. You actually and it doesn't make your story any less of a story. It doesn't make it any less of a testimony because we always use we like effects, we like knowledgeable effects, we like you know recovery kind of story. You know, things were nice um, or things were okay, then things got bad. Then after things got bad, then things now got better. Now that's the testimony. But it doesn't seem like so much of a testimony to us when, oh, you left school, you got a job, you got a good job, and then you kept climbing up the corporate ladder up until you began to make so much money and stuff like that. That just seems like a boring story. It's not really selling. And so somehow, 
that kind of life does not need. Now, it doesn't, it's a nice kind of life, but it doesn't necessarily appeal to you. But you just believe that for the story to actually be nice, there has to be some portals along the way. No problem. Maybe for you, but not for me. It's not for me. My life is always continue to is always going to continue to keep um, it's going to continue to keep getting better. And even if at any point in time there is actually a portal, listen, as I've said before, I'm gonna bounce back bigger and better because I serve a God who can restore the years, the years that canker worms and locusts have eaten. He can restore it. So you must have that mindset as well. But then that being said, I don't want to you know go too far from what I was explaining. So look at what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says. Take no thought. And guess what he says? He calls them all men of little faith. Ah! <laughs> you know, as I said before, there are certain things that even if the pastor that said it, you say, ah, what kind of person is this? Ah, ah. Even have human feelings. Have human feelings. Have human feelings. But guess what? That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you are ever at a point where you are worried about what you are going to eat or drink tomorrow, look at, guess what he says? He says, you, are, you, are, you have little faith. That's the reality. He says, you have little faith. You are in doubt. Actually, a, a better way to put it is this: you are famous. You are famous because when you actually study how Jesus uses the word "little faith," "great faith," and so on and so forth, you understand that when he calls a man a man of little faith, he's actually saying you are in doubt. You don't actually believe. That's what he means there. So look at what he says. He's telling you, listen: if you are worried, no matter how, you need to understand. Jesus doesn't put black. He doesn't put it in grace. He doesn't put e but He says something clearly. If you are worried about the future, there is only one answer: you have little faith. And listen to me: it will not matter how well people empathize with you, even church people. If Bible says, or if Jesus says you have little faith, then listen to me: you have little faith. You have little faith. You are. And so you know what this means? This means there will never be a situation, no matter how big, that is actually valid enough for you to worry about. That means the reality. And I know how hard this can be to hear. It's not, it's not a very palatable thing to hear. But guess what? It's God's word. It's God's word. And it remains the truth. I've told you guys before. The truth of God's word remains forever. Hallelujah. How flesh is as grass. They're going to wither away and pass. But guess what? The truth of God's word stands sure. Hallelujah. And so if God's word says it, that's what it is. There will never be any situation in your life that is good enough for you to worry about. There's never going to be a situation where you begin to worry and God says, ah, I didn't think about this beforehand. Ah, oh, no, no, no. It ain't bad. It's just for about 10 minutes of worry. Who deserves it? No. There's never going to be a situation like that. At every point in time, you will never have a reason good enough to respond to anything in worry. Never. Never. He says, you have little faith if you ever worry. Do you understand? So, see, I understand. I understand how tough that situation can actually be. I know how bad things might actually be. I understand it. And trust me, I want with you, I want those things to also go. Do you understand? Just as you want it. And we're going to keep trusting. We're going to keep praying about it. But listen to me. Don't stay in worry. Don't stay in worry. So, now, it becomes a responsibility for you not to stay worried. No, I'm not going to be worried. I'm not going to. So, so now, pay attention to what I said before. It could be a legitimate concern. Are we together? So, you know, notice that Jesus also did not say don't plan. Jesus didn't say don't work. Are we together? We have enough apostolic instructions actually about working, all right, and stuff like that. So, planning is not wrong. But listen to me. A legitimate concern can now drift into worry. So, what was a normal and a good thing before? Caring for your parents, caring for your family, and so on and so forth. He says the devil can get a hold of it. Don't forget, we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. The devil can get a hold of a legitimate concern and then turn it into worry. And then now you started from a genuine concern out of love for people, but then it has led you to worry and now you are walking in the flesh. We are not ignorant of devices. So, guys, you must be discerning. You must be discerning. Of the truth, I'm going to be concerned for people. Of the truth, I'm going to be concerned about my life. Of the truth, I'm going to you know, take plans for my life and I'm going to you know, do my best possible to track my progress. But guess what? I'm never going to be worried. I'm not going to give myself that liberty of a thinker. I, you see, if there's any... I, I, for one, detest that thing a lot. Because most of the time, the overthinking doesn't lead to anything. That's not thinking. There's a very clear difference between productive thinking and worry. You're not an overthinker. You you worry a lot. I don't know the word for it. I don't know if the word is warrior or something. Or warrior. <laughs> but the reality of it is you're not making anything useful with it. So you're really not thinking. You're worrying. There's a clear difference. Are we together? There's a clear difference. There's a clear difference between thinking about something in order to get to a point where you get a solution. Are we together? And that, but that is very different from you thinking. Alright, without anything cogent to actually do. And let me tell you one of the most interesting things. If you are being honest with yourself, for people who 
just hold like that, particularly for ladies. You know, there is a way that looks. There's a way that thing can become sweet. There is a way worry can become sweet. I'm telling you, there is a way just you analyzing all of the possible situations, how things can go wrong and stuff like that. Just someone, <laughs> I can't explain it, but people who have been there know what I'm talking about. Where in just with all manner of scenarios because that way you feel like now at least if it happens i prepared for it in my mind not because you actually have any solid preparation on ground because as i said before people who worry never really it. but at least i have talked about all of the worst things possible that could happen so now even if the worst actually happens no problem are we together but guess what that also shows it shows that you don't work in faith it shows that you lack faith it shows that you've already resigned to the worst can happen with my life. And well, even if it happens, no problem. It shows you don't have any will in you to fight with God's word and with God's power. It clearly shows you are not in faith. So can you now see why Jesus said it? He says, you are of little faith if you worry. You can't do both together. Listen to me, guys. You cannot be in faith and worry at the same time. You actually can't. Because there is a, there is a certain level of oblivion to what is currently happening that you need to have to work in faith. There is a level of madness permit to use in quotes, that we need to have to work in faith. You need to be able to see a situation the way it is and to talk as though you are blind to what people are saying. Where everybody else is saying, can't you see what we are saying? But then you are saying, you are the one not seeing what I'm saying. And you both of you are looking at the same situation. Because that, that is how miracles actually happen. A miracle can only happen, first of all, from the ability to conceive a different reality from what you are saying. That you can see, for example, a man who is lame, who has never worked before, and you can conceive the possibilities that this man can walk. And so you talk to a man who has never walked before. And you say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. At that point in time, people will be looking at you like you are mad. Because this man has never walked before. How are you even able to dare think of the possibility of this man walking? Not just to think, but that it now causes the response in you to the point where you can say it to the man. Now that's faith. And listen to me. You cannot be in worry and do that same thing. You can't. You have to pick a side. So why waste your time on something that cannot actually produce a result? Where you actually have something which might produce a result. Guess what? But guess what? Faith always produces a, produce a result. Even if it doesn't produce the results in the thing, it produces the results in you. Something in you changes. Every time when you walk in faith, even if things don't necessarily change immediately, guess what? Something is changing in you. If anything at all, you are getting stronger in walking in faith. And of a truth, you might be praying for that sickness and at the end of the day, the sickness doesn't get healed and you have to use a drug. But guess what? The next time a sickness comes around, you build faith to an extent that you can stand upon that faith and speak to that sickness. You can. You can. So the point of what I'm saying is this, guys. Our understanding of joy now must be beyond, oh, you know, I'm going to wait till when things good happen for me to be in joy and rejoice. No. Now joy is a fight because you must recognize for every time when I walk in worry, it is me giving space to the devil. It is me actually giving allowance to the devil in my life. Worry is not of God. Are we together? And Jesus already said it. I cannot be worrying and still be in faith. I have to pick one of the two. So if I am, if I'm worrying, it means at that point in time I'm not in faith. It means I have given place to the devil. Look at look at Galatians 5. Let me show you. Galatians 5, 16 to 23. We have very few minutes, and I'm just going to run through what I have left. Galatians 5, 16, 23. This part. All right. He says, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Now, he says in verse 17, the flesh passes against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And it's contrary the one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you will. He says, but if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. He says, the, now the works of the Lord, um, of the flesh are made manifest, and then he reads through all of those. I don't have time. He says, um, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such as no law. So he tells you that the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy. fruit of the Spirit is joy. Hallelujah. Joy. So, so now, I don't just see joy as something that happens all of a sudden. I recognize that because I have the Spirit of God in me, because now let me just quickly say this about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, before now, we've always thought the fruit of the Spirit are. But notice the Bible says the fruit, notice it does not put S after the fruits. It says fruits. So it's a singular word. The fruit of the Spirit is. Meaning, you don't have different fruits of the Spirit. No. Because that's where we've always read it. Fruit of the Spirit. Notice it didn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. 
He says the fruit, F-U-F-R-U-I-T, singular, of the spirit is. Because are a single fruit. The word fruit there is the word kapos, K-A-R-P-O-S. It means something that comes, something that germinates or grows as the reason of something. Are we together? And what he's talking about there is the evidence or the influence of the spirit in the life of a man. And so he says, the evidence of the spirit in your heart is love, joy, peace, long suffering. So it's not that, you know, the way we think of it is, oh, I have love, I have peace. Ah, but we think the love suffering. But we the gentleness, money, kindness, money, meekness, you know, but I want to cover him, you know, I'll try, I'll try to find a way to get it. So now you're praying, God, give me joy. God, give me joy. God, give me joy. That's not it. He says, listen, the fruit of the spirit is. The fruit of the spirit is. Are we together, guys? So the fruit of the spirit is joy, is love, and so on and so forth. So listen to me, guys. I've got joy. Oh, <laughs> I've got joy. I've got, I've got joy in my spirit. So listen to me now. Now look at the way Paul explains it in, in Galatians 5. He says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So listen to me, guys. There is no middle ground. If I'm not in the flesh, I'm in the spirit. I mean, together. If I'm not walking in the flesh, because the believer can no longer be in the flesh, but if I'm not walking in the flesh at the point in time, then I'm walking in the spirit. And if I'm not walking in the spirit, I'm walking in the flesh. There's no gray line in between. So listen to me, guys. It means this. It means that for every time when I do not walk in joy and I walk in worry, I'm walking in the flesh. That's what it means. It means I'm walking in the flesh. You know, oftentimes when we think about walking in the flesh, what comes to our mind a lot of times is, oh, you know, you're committing adultery or you're committing fornication, you know, or you're stealing money and stuff like that. Listen to me. Worry is walking in the flesh. Hallelujah. Worry is walking in the flesh. But guess what? You know how you no longer walk in the flesh. Bible tells in Colossians 3, from verse 1 to 3, it says, you know, um, um, it says, because Christ is living, it says you can set your affections. Hallelujah. Colossians 3, from verse 1 to 3. Sorry, I'm paraphrasing. It's actually, skip my mind. All right. It tells you that you can set your affections on things that move and not on things on the earth because your life is hidden with Christ in God. So now, because Christ is real and you can set your affections, you now decide to set your affections on joy. So listen to me. I'm no longer going to walk in the flesh. I'm going to walk in the spirit. And because one of the spirit's ability in me is joy, I can walk in joy. So now, joy no longer becomes something that happens to me. Joy becomes something I do for myself. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So listen now, I'm not, I'm not just sitting in one place waiting for joy to happen to me. No, I recognize that I've got the Holy Ghost. So listen to me, walking in the Spirit, because a lot of times when we hear walking in the Spirit, what often comes to our mind is, you know, you stand up, you're talking in tongues, say, you know, and you think that's you walking in the Spirit. Listen to me, sometimes walking in the Spirit is jumping up on your feet and just rejoicing. That's how to walk in the Spirit sometimes. Sometimes when you catch yourself, you know, you can't, there is something I always do to myself, personally, personally, and folks around me know this, I am never okay with feeling sad. And I, I think that sounds normal, but you need to realize how, how much it is. If I, if I notice at any point in time that my mood changes, I'm very interested in knowing why. Because it becomes abnormal to me. I'm not okay with... And, and you know, you, you hear people talk sometimes, and you can tell that they become so comfortable with feeling sad. You can tell. Do you understand my point? Yeah, There's just always a reason why they are dark and gloomy. Every mm. Mm. You know, what's, what's the problem? You know, is you know, there's always a reason to be dark and gloomy. Not me, not me. I'm always excited. I'm always full of joy. I'm always optimistic for the future. Just that. See how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. I'm very good. That's the reality. I'm crying actually. I'm doing awesome. I've not had. I've not had a better year than I'm having right now. That's the reality. Are we together? That's just the truth. I'm doing very well. I've got joy. Listen. And so, at any point in time, when you notice, you just notice that this morning I'm not excited. I'm not optimistic about life. I'm not optimistic about my day. It feels like I'm feeling down. Don't, don't be so comfortable. It's bad. It's wrong. Don't. Just that. Don't be comfortable with just saying, I don't even know how it's going to go. And then you now add God to it. You're not really talking in faith, but you're saying it just because that's a Christian thing to say. So you now say, ah, just watch out. No, it's going to do it. It's going to do it. I've got God. He's going to get it fixed. Hallelujah. So now you begin to walk in joy consciously. I'm walking in the spirit. I've got joy. I've got joy. Hallelujah. I've got joy. I'm not downtrodden. I'm not a victim. I'm the victor. I'm always on the winning side. On a perpetual victory parade. That's my life. I've got joy. I've got joy. So now you wake up in the morning. Oh, I've got joy. 
I've got joy. I might not feel like it, but I've got joy. And now guess what, guys? Because as a smile, as the reason of the spirit of God in us, we can influence our emotions by the spirit of God. So now the same you who before now you were feeling down, you know, dejected, confused. Now you say those words. I've got joy at work in my spirit. The spirit of God is at work in me. And yes, I've got joy in my spirit. So guess what? Worry has no place to stay here. I'm never confused. I'm never stranded. I have all that I need by the power of the Holy Ghost. And while I'm waiting for those miracles, guess what? I can rejoice right now because joy is at work in my spirit. My joy is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on the things around me. My joy is dependent on the spirit of God at work in me. Hallelujah. And this joy that I have, the world did not give me and the world cannot take it away. Hallelujah. So now you begin to rejoice. Guess what? Here's what's going to happen. Even though you start rejoicing without feeling like it, sooner than later, you begin to feel like it. So now you started. So, so this, just as you could start something in the spirit and the devil ejects it and makes it in the flesh, you can also start something in the spirit and then it comes up in the spirit. Comes up in the spirit. So, you know, when you started rejoicing, you know, it was just, let me just rejoice. Huh? But then you get to a point. And now there's a dancing in your feet. Hallelujah. Your feet begin, you know, you don't begin to feel light throughout the day. You're excited for the day now. You know, you're optimistic for the day now. Now you're expecting angelic manifestations all around you. Why? Because now you've yielded to the Spirit of God. You've yielded to joy. Hallelujah. So, men and brethren, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say something to you. In this 21st century you are in, you're going to have to learn to respond in joy. Hallelujah. Now, joy becomes a fight. It becomes a conscious effort. Conscious effort. You have to decide it in yourself. I'm not going to be a joyous person. I'm going to live a joyous life. I'm not going to have a gloomy family. You know, I don't know how some people think some things are going to be. But I'm not going to be one of those parents where you enter their house and then everywhere is just, you know, everywhere is just, the children are just quiet. You know, they are not, nobody says your children should not be well behaved. But how do you have children in the house? You have to in your house. And I always, it can't be me. Uh, it's not me. I, I, I will be known for joy. Just that every time when you come around me, I'm always excited, always optimistic about the future. That's the reality. That's me. That's me. And I've always told you guys before, it is with your mouth you direct how your life is going to go. So I'm telling you how my life is going to go already. I'm always going to have joy. I'm always going to walk in joy. I'm always going to live in joy. Listen to me. I've got joy all the days of my life. I'm going to have joyous days. And it is going to be joyous days. Back to back to back to back. I'm not going to have a day when that's my life. Hallelujah. So I yield to joy. I yield to joy. I yield to joy. I yield to joy. And then when you recognize that for the church, for the believers, all right, joy Walking in joy is not just something you are, you should do. It's an instruction to you. So Paul, for example, is speaking, you know, in Philippians 4 and verse 4, and then he tells the Philippian church. Now, in prison, but then he tells them, he says, rejoice. He says, again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah. In Philippians 3 and verse 1, all right, he says, we are this, you know, we are the circumcision who worship Christ in the spirit. Sorry. Yeah, but where, you know what he says, but the circumcision who worship Christ in the spirit, all right. He says, we, we have no confidence in the flesh. He says, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, we boast in Christ Jesus, we have no confidence in the flesh. So, look at that, we boast, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. So, now he tells you, Philippians, so rejoicing is not just your heritage, it's also an instruction. to me, if you're ever not walking in rejoicing, you're walking in the flesh and you're walking in sin. I'm walking insane. So now I want you to get a hold of your mind from today on as you go into the new week and decide in yourself you're always going to walk in joy. I'm always going to walk in joy. I'm always going to be full of joy. There's never going to be a day when I'm going to, there's never going to be a day when I'm, I'm permitted to be worried. I'm never going to permit myself to be worried. I'm always going to be full of joy. Always going to be filled with joy. Always going to be full of expectation expectation you know i keep saying that word full of expectation and motivation and you see i i i see i i i, I gave this word a while ago all right to someone and it, she actually reached out to me all right for who the word was for but you see let me tell you something it's not normal for a young person to not have an expectation of their future it's not normal it's actually not normal it's not normal for a young person to not be optimistic about their future because listen as a when you are young all right what the only two things you have to offer yourself are your strength and your optimism. You need to have a never-ending optimism in the fact that you're well for you. 
Because that's actually what drove the purpose. But for some of you, the reason you can no longer fight anymore is because you have lost that optimism about your future. That excitement about the point that things can naturally work well for you. So now there is no drive to fight anymore. Listen to me. That optimism is coming back again by the power of the Holy Ghost. Listen, and the way that optimism will come back is by you yielding to joy. It's going to come back by yielding to joy. Because by you yielding to joy, joy will change the words of your mouth. And as you change the words of your mouth, you begin to see situations around you change in line with that. But guess where it's all going to start from? It's going to start from joy. So yield to joy. That's the instruction of the Spirit of God to you. Yield to joy. Yield to joy. I've got joy. Hallelujah. I've got joy. Wherever you are, I just want to say that. I've got joy. I've got joy. By the power of the Holy Ghost. By the Spirit of God residing in me, I've got joy. I've got joy every single day. I've got joy every single night. I've got joy in the world. I've got joy in the night. I've got joy when I wake. I've got joy when I sleep. I've got joy when I'm working. I've got joy when things are working for me. And I've got joy when things are not working for me. I've got joy at every single point in time. I'm setting up myself up for miracles because I've got joy and I walk in the spirit. Oh, glory, hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Come on, just give God thanks wherever you are. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carysoul.bb at gmail.com. We call you blessed.